Roger that, two guys talking, you are good to go. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. You are listening to The Versus Machine. My name is Joseph Burge. And I'm Richard Gibson. And we are your hosts. Today we are talking about The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald as compared to the 2013 movie. Background and importance. This book was written in 1925 and it was set in 1922. It is a product of and it is set in the 20s during Prohibition, during the Roaring Twenties. There's wild parties going on everyone just having a good time kind of not really thinking about doing anything important so much as just having a good time and Fitzgerald does a good job of capturing the feel of the age Gatsby's house is really kind of the epitome of the jazz age of of the roaring 20s the importance of the book might be hard to state nobody references the book in in casual conversation nobody says you know this is a party like like Gatsby through or you know you're as racist as Tom or anything like that you know no one says those kinds of things but that doesn't mean that the book doesn't have important things to tell us about ourselves about humanity in general and aside from just being a a good piece of art definitely I would agree with you that the art of the entire novel is the important thing and more than that I would think that it's important for us to mention that a writer like Fitzgerald went on to inspire other writers to do the kinds of things that they do today. It was, he was kind of one of those writers back in the day that was ballsy enough to say what he meant. Uh, You know, he was a Dickens of his day, so to speak, because Dickens was the same way. He would say exactly what he thought in exactly the words that he thought it. And Fitzgerald was not afraid to tackle things like racism, classism, things like that, things that Dickens was also very into. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of classism and racism in, in The Great Gatsby. And from the movie perspective, just to give you a little background on the movie, the movie's fairly new. It was made this year. Uh, the director of the movie is Baz Luhrmann, and he did take along with him Craig Pierce to be the writer who they both wrote together, Moulin Rouge. And, of course, most of you know Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann's other pictures, Romeo plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge, have been hounded for decades as these kind of pretty period pictures that don't have a lot of substance. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we are with this. The movie does star Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, and Carrie Mulligan. The three of them together make kind of an odd pair because DiCaprio is usually used to working with 
a kind of more darker version. Tobey Maguire, we know from the Spider-Man films, is used to working with a lighter kind of version of directing. You know, Mulligan's kind of in the middle. So it's going to be an interesting pair no matter what. Richard, let's compare the two. All right, you want to start with Gatsby? I do. Talk about the, the title character. The Great Gatsby. Yes, Gatsby. What is so great about him? I think that is a a valid question to start with. That is a a questionable thing. That that was something that I liked what they did in the 2013 movie when uh, Nick is done writing his memoir about this event. He just titled it Gatsby, and that's how he printed it out on the typewriter, and he set it down. And then he came back to it a little bit later and appended The Great, so it became The Great Gatsby. I think Nick was perhaps questioning in his own mind what made Gatsby great. What what caused him to put that title to the character? All we see in the book of what Gatsby did was he just threw these wild parties with the hope of drawing in a particular girl so he could try to woo her again because he had missed his chance about five years ago. And that's really all he's doing in the book. But I think the bigger point, and especially the versus machine point that we need to make, is we're dealing with two very different Gatsby's. We're dealing with a Gatsby in the book who is a little more open, a little more suave, a little more put together. Much more suave, much more charming. the Gatsby in the movie, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is much more vulgar. He's very angry. He's very all over the place. And I think you and I talked about this before that one of the biggest... Yeah, we walked out of the movie theater. (laughs) One of the biggest things that I think is the difference between the two is the fact that Gatsby in the book is seen as more just this kind of patsy for Maya, whereas in the movie, he's a full-on gangster. And it's it's yeah. it's a really different tone for that character. It is. Yeah, Gatsby, in as he's portrayed by Fitzgerald in the book, Gatsby is a very charming, very likable guy. He's very mysterious. He's kind of hard to trust because you can't really pin him on anything you don't you you can't figure him out he's a very enigmatic character but he's still very charming he's very likable it talks about in the book how some lady ripped her dress at his party and he got her name and address and sent her a new one just for the sport of it just because he felt bad that she uh something of hers was damaged at his party the the gatsby we we see in the 2013 movie wouldn't do anything like that um, I don't think he was too worried about anything but Daisy in the movie. And I think yeah. it's 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 a real shame to see that character in the movie kind of boiled down to just Daisy and crime. Because right. in the book, he's such a very many-splendored character, and he mm-hmm. goes in so many different directions. Not only that, but he doesn't take the emotionality into it that Gatsby in the movie does. We were talking about before that Gatsby in the movie has a freakout in the hotel room where he throws something and screams. In yes. the book, all that Nick describes as him doing is he gives a face that is like he had killed a man previously. Yeah. And something like that is a big difference. And, yes. it, and it would be a big difference to somebody who would have watched the movie versus read the book because you wouldn't see that in that kind of emotionality in Gatsby in the book that you get in the movie. Right. You would think that he's a hothead, whereas yes. in the book, he is as far from a hothead as he can possibly be. Right. Yeah, he's he's very calm. He's very much in control of himself. He is a very charming guy. A charming guy wouldn't flip out as he did in the movie. He also wouldn't uh, chew out his employees on the phone as he also did in the movie. They took the same conversation during one of the parties Gatsby gets a phone call 
And he goes and answers it. And it's one of his contacts. And they're, they're, you only hear Gatsby's end of the conversation. And the contact was supposed to do some sort of deal in a small town. His idea of a small town was Detroit. Gatsby says, if that's his idea of a small town, then he's of no use to us. In in the book, when it, Fitzgerald doesn't give us what Gatsby's emotion is as he says it, but it seems to be very casual, very normal, um, as if nothing's wrong, because nothing really was wrong, and Gatsby couldn't show that anything was. In the movie, though, he's really mad about it, and he like kind of chews this guy out. And, and I it, think it displays a very different character. And the one in the movie again is very sinister and loses a lot of depth that the one in the book has. And I think more than that, I think that we're missing the core value of what Gatsby believes in in the movie mm-hmm. that we we see in the book. And that's namely you and I talked about his missing father. I think the fact that his father is missing in in the, in the movie. movie versus the book mm-hmm. really takes away a depth of him because yes. he was sending his father money. Yep. He knew about his father. He had actually gone and seen his father and bought him in a house. In the movie yep. – it's almost as if he left his entire life behind just for his dream. Whereas in, I think in the book, it makes it out to be more, he wanted his dream, but because he wanted to support the people that he loved. Yeah. There is a great depth of character when Gatsby's dad is brought in. That is completely lacking from the movie Gatsby. Pretty much everything that they added in the movie and everything that they left out all work to make Gatsby more sinister. And that, and that's not the same character as is in the, book that wouldn't be a big issue in and of itself with the exception of the fact that the book Gatsby is so deep he as you said before Joey he's got so many facets he's he's a very enigmatic he's a very real person he wants to get away from his from his poor father from his poor parents uh, from his past as a nobody he wants to get away from that so that he can marry some girl like Daisy. She has a very wealthy family. She's very well established. She's a, quote, nice girl. A nobody, as Gatsby was born, couldn't attain that. So he wants to get away from his from his family, but he's not forsaking them. While I agree with you that the book is missing, the movie is missing something the book doesn't have, I disagree with you that the Gatsby in the movie is less of a character than the Gatsby in the book. Because, and here, wait for it, because I feel like the added extra emotional, the emotionality of the issue makes him a more rounded person. In the book, we don't, I don't feel that he's a rounded person. I feel that he's a person and he's in Nick's life and he is the center point of Nick's story, but I don't think of him as a person i think of him more as a construct it makes me feel more like nick is an unreliable narrator to read the book than it does to watch the movie because the gatsby in the movie is a real person the gatsby in the book is almost too great to believe well that is definitely something that we disagree on so should we ask the audience joey i definitely think we should ask the all audience. right so what do you guys think which do you which gatsby do you think is a more well-rounded more real character the one in the book as written by fitzgerald or the one in the 2013 movie i think you're gonna lose on this one maybe you can always go to our website at versusmachine.com and click the contact button on the top right corner and tell us what you think the lovable nick (laughs) 
lovable Nick. That's one way to put it. That's for sure. I think Nick is kind of the most. I think Nick is the most faceted character in the entire novel and in the entire movie. And I think it's more than just he's the narrator. I think Nick is struggling with so much more than everyone else in in the entire story. I think he has more of a complex than anyone in the entire story, and he All is right. the most in denial about it. That's fair. This is something Nick says about himself. He says, Everyone suspects himself of at least one of the cardinal virtues, and this is mine. I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. And this is coming off him just talking about this long string of narration where he's talking about how he's basically leading this girl on back at home, basically implying that they're going to get married, but he has no intention of it. So after basically admitting how he's manipulating someone he then has he then says i am one of the few honest people that i've ever known yes he is totally in denial uh, about his very character about how he's not a very honest person (laughs) and you and i had a discussion and this is a big discussion whenever the story is told from the point of view of a person rather than an omniscient narrator of whether he's an unreliable narrator it's the biggest question you have to ask yourself whenever it's told a story by a person instead of God. And I think the most important thing to think about Nick as an unreliable narrator is, I go back to my Gatsby point, which is Gatsby doesn't seem like a real person. He seems like a construct of many different things that Nick thinks he knows. And I think Nick even admits to himself in parts of the book that Gatsby is a construct because he spends 90% of the book not believing a word Gatsby says. You know, a lot of people ask what the word construct means, and I like to use it a lot in my vocabulary. And I think when I talk about a construct, I talk about a figment or an idea that someone has built up from many different details. And that's what I mean by a construct. It's more of a, it's more of a thing that may not necessarily be real. It's just something someone's created, and it's an idea. So you're saying Nick, Nick's representation of Gatsby is, is inaccurate? The response to your question is, no, I don't think that he's a real person. He can't be a real person. There is no one that suave, cool, and collected. Daisy even admits in the book that he's not a real person because she says, you are you look so cool, you always look so cool. A person like that is really hard to come by, and I scarcely doubt that that's a real person. I, w- I agree with you, except for the fact that Daisy is saying it. Daisy says all sorts of things that don't make any sense. Her very first line upon seeing Nick, her like second cousin once removed is shows up at her house. She says, I'm paralyzed with happiness. That's really ridiculous. She then goes on to say that Nick is just like a rose and that totally throws him for a loop. He's like, I- I'm absolutely nothing like a rose. I am not at all like a rose. I really have no idea what she's talking about. And she- Daisy's also someone who's like, I'm so flustered right now after this humongous argument that just happened in the hotel parlor. The best way to calm my nerves is to drive home. Not have Gatsby drive, but I'm going to drive myself. Anything Daisy says can't really be taken as very accurate. But back to the discussion of Nick. Nick's the important part. And I think Nick is a rather interesting person. I think he's interesting because... We see all of these things through his eyes, and I think one of the most important things that the movie doesn't have that the book has is the movie paints Nick as sort of kind of this optimist, this person that wants to believe the best in Gatsby, that wants to believe that people have some idea what they're doing. In the book, 
he spends the entire book not only getting mad at people, but saying outright dirty things about almost everyone he comes into contact with. He doesn't actually say them, though. He, there is an entire uh, point. There is an entire point not. where he describes the people that go to Gatsby's party, where he says things I wouldn't say to my worst enemy. Right, but he never is that. He's not actually saying them. There's a difference to think it and to say it, to, especially to say it to the person's face. Whether or not he says or thinks those things, I think the biggest part, and especially going back to the cardinal virtue part, I think the biggest part of him is his inability to be an honest person, even though he believes he is one. That is a very interesting facet of his character, and as contradictory or wild as that might be, that's how people really are. Real people are contradictory. They do things that don't make sense. They think things about themselves that are completely unrealistic. That's something that I think is so so good about Fitzgerald's uh, depictions of all of his characters in The Great Gatsby is that they're all very real. One of the things that I think Nick is missing, and one of the, the one it's it's more of a missing plot point than it is anything. We are missing the entire relationship between Jordan and Nick, in the, and it pertains in the movie, in the movie and yes. pertains to Nick. That's a really big deal, and one of the reasons why it's a big deal is because we come back to Nick's inability to be honest. Mm-hmm. He says he falls in love with Jordan not because he loves Jordan, because Jordan happens to be there, more or less. Yeah. That is such a kind of like kooky way to for him to look at it, and he looks at it as though there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, he literally true. tells the audience there is nothing wrong with loving this woman simply because she's there. It, yet he laments almost every person in the book for doing the wrong thing in terms of getting what they want. Yeah, and I don't see I don't see how that's even close to acceptable in his eyes it's because he's it's just self-blindness he doesn't he doesn't see this fact about himself what do you think nick gains by the end of the novel i'm interested to hear what you think nick gains by the end of the novel because i think his character development is the greatest of anyone's in the entire novel and i in my opinion his character development is he learns that he can't be that honest and he can't be that visceral towards everything because at the very end when he meets tom again and he refuses to shake tom's hand he eventually laments and shakes tom's hand if only to say i feel like i'm shaking the hand of a child and therefore i'm going to humor him yeah yeah i shook hands with him it seemed silly not to for i felt suddenly as though i was talking to a child yeah that is and he and he's referring to tom and someone who's his age who is 30 that's most definitely not a child, but Tom really is very childish. But do you think that he learns to, that it's okay to be that way, or do you think he abhors it even more by the end? That's tough to say. The thing that Nick says about himself, other than the inaccurate statement about him being incredibly honest, is him saying of himself that he's very hopeful and that he, he reserves judgments. He doesn't, he doesn't give them. I mean, he might think them, but he doesn't tell anybody about them. But he still has that at the end. The very fact that he shook hands with Tom because he felt like he was talking to a child was showing that he 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 was, again, reserving his judgment. I think the missing thing from the movie is everything that happens after Gatsby's funeral because mm-hmm. in the movie yeah. you commented that Nick is in an insane asylum. 
yeah. at the beginning and end of the movie. And I think That's that takes away he's telling his his memoir. And I think that takes away a great deal of his character. Yeah. Because we don't see what happens after Gatsby's funeral. We don't see that he goes back to, you know, home as he does in the book. We right. don't see that he learns all these lessons. We literally just think he went insane. Yeah, he kind of lost it and his shrink says, "Well, why don't you type out what you're thinking?" Okay. And then he does and that seems to to work. It's for that reason that I say whether we believe he's an unreliable narrator in the book, he is most definitely without a doubt an unreliable narrator in the movie. Well, yes. <laughs> By the very fact that it opens with him in an insane asylum. That's kind of, yes, unreliable. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's unreliable in the book, though. That's just you. You don't think he's unreliable? I don't think he's unreliable. What do you think? Do you think Nick's an unreliable narrator? Do you think he has a leg to stand on when telling his story? We want to hear from you. Go to versusmachine.com and click the contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page and tell us what you think. The lovable, but not so lovable, Daisy. Yeah. I hate Daisy. <laughs> That's how you really feel. I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. I hate Daisy. I hate her as a character. I hate her as a person. I hate her representation in the movie. I hate everything about Daisy. Daisy is like the worst type of person imaginable. Except for maybe Tom. No, I think Daisy's worse than Tom. Wow, okay. Daisy gave Gatsby hope and took it away. Daisy gave Fair. Gatsby hope. Tom never gave Gatsby hope. That's true. Tom thought he was an idiot. Tom thought he was a crook the entire movie and the yeah. entire book and yeah. told him so. Right. Daisy told him she loved him and yeah. then left him. And yeah, twice, actually, the, the, when they first met. It's like, well, I can't really marry you. You're not rich. And then Tom just kind of shows up and is just like, all right, we can get hitched, I guess. You're 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 big, strong. You're not in the military, and uh, you're that brings us rich. to a key point. That's a difference between the book and the movie. The key point that's a difference is the fact that in the movie they make it look like Gatsby won't marry Daisy because he's poor. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's made very clear Daisy won't marry Gatsby because he's poor. Yeah. In the or movie, at the very least, he knows he can't ask. In the movie, they literally make it look like Daisy wants to marry Gatsby, but can't because he won't let her. Yeah, because he wants to go off and make a fortune first. And that's a terrible thing to do, especially because yeah, it takes away different. the evil evilness of Daisy as a character. It does. No, you laugh, but she is an evil character. I feel that she is the most evil character in the entire book. I feel she's the antagonist. I feel if there is an antagonist in the book, it's Daisy. That's, that's a legitimate claim. I can get behind that. But it's more than that. I feel not only is Daisy unable to fully be a good person, I feel she doesn't care either way. She doesn't care about much at all. Because she makes all of those statements like the ones you said that make absolutely no sense. She calls her daughter, what, Blessed Precious? Blessed Precious. Blessed Precious. Why do I feel like that's a Lord of the Rings reference that I'm not aware of? (laughs) Daisy not only has a child... In the book, she mentions the child several times and does not care and does not think of what her child's going to do if she leaves Tom for Gatsby. That's true. She does she not does, mention she at all. Consider that. But that brings us to the movie where they make Daisy look better because they don't include her kids. They don't include the child, yep. And I think that's a terrible thing to do because it makes Daisy look better, and that's horrible. <laughs> we'll get back to all that right after the break. Thought about a career in voiceover? 
Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Things in 1982 were a lot more simple. BMX bikes, the Versailles apartment complex in Schaumburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg called E.T. Science fiction, the detail of a broken but still together family, the relationships that were made when you were 12, ones that are never again truly realized. It seems a lot heavier than most remember, but all of these things and more await you in the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Steven Spielberg's E.T. 1982 on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Two Guys Talking is proud to be using Heil Finn microphones inside the Podcast Bug, a 1974 custom Super Beetle with a fully functional recording studio built into the front. Check out the latest audio capture tool and head turner that keeps Two Guys Talking on the cutting edge of podcasting. Finn mics from Heil aren't just providing great audio quality, they're fun. With glistening blue LEDs in each, they're true technological centerpieces and help Two Guys Talking continually make the mark inside of the podcast industry when out on remote audio capture missions. Are you familiar with Heil microphones? Check out all the details now at HeilSound.com. That's H-E-I-L Sound.com. And learn why Two Guys Talking uses and succeeds in their podcast bug with the best in microphone technology. Heil Sound laying down the best audio tracks inside the podcast bug for Two Guys Talking. And we're back. My name is Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And we're here talking about Gatsby the book versus Gatsby the 2013 movie. Minor characters. I don't want to say a whole lot about the minor characters because most of the minor characters we mentioned in the main characters. Yeah. The only things I really want to say is I don't like that Jordan's non-existent. In the 2013 movie, she is a non-issue. 
She and I, is, she's so interesting that taking her out, it, it loses so much. I And I don't like that no. because Jordan's relationship with Nick, as we said before, is a is pivotal important. point of the entire thing. And I think that that's a really bad thing that they took that out. Right. Moving on to Gatsby's dad. Gatsby's dad adds Gosh. a whole nother level to the to yes. the movie. Would have added a whole nother level to the movie we didn't get to see. Yeah. It adds a whole nother level to the book. Mm-hmm. The fact that this poor dirt farmer <laughs> shows up at Gatsby's funeral and says, not only do I not care that my son disowned me, I support that he disowned me. Pretty much. That he leaves... was such a great guy. He was going to do so many wonderful things. That leaves me kind of breathless in terms of, you know, emotions that I could have felt for Gatsby that mm-hmm. the movie doesn't even cover. No. And it I feel even, like, I feel like hint that's terrible. Yeah. What do you think? There's so much is lost with with the absence of Gatsby's dad. Owl eyes. Owl eyes, I owl think. Eyes, yes. Owl eyes. And he's known as Owl eyes he's in the book. He's never named. It's he's, they never give his name. They just know him as Owl eyes. You don't think he's that big of a character. I do. And the only there's only one scene in which I think he's a big character. He shows up at Gatsby's burial. He is the only non-family member, non-servant, other than Nick, who shows up at the funeral. And only I one. think and that's important. And he's some random unnamed dude who's found in the library examining the books. And he's flabbergasted that they're real books. But here's the important part of it. It shows that there are at least some redeemable people in life. And I think Nick comments on that in the book that it yeah. shows that there are at least some redeemable people that this old man that he doesn't even know yeah. just showed up just and he said up. i couldn't made it to the wake but i'm here now i'm here now right yeah nick just spent all this time with deplorable people like daisy and tom and then owl eyes shows up and that brings up and the he's last a, he's a good person that brings up the last minor character we have to go through which is tom tom is only important in one aspect Tom is there to create tension. He is a racist. He is a chauvinist. <laughs> yeah. He beats almost everyone in the entire movie in some fashion, whether it be verbal or physical. At the very least, yes. I think his only real value in the story is that he moves it along. Yeah. I mean, he, he does that by pulling, literally pulling Nick to, to, see, to see Tom's mistress Myrtle and then that whole fiasco and causes all that and myrtle is another one too and the only thing we're going to say about myrtle is the myrtle in the one thing that ticks me off about every movie version of gatsby ever is myrtle is supposed to be thick and not good looking yeah and there has never been a movie version that i've seen so far where myrtle is thick and not good looking yeah and i don't understand it because it makes tom look better that Tom would cheat on his wife with this good-looking woman. It's just right. like he found a good-looking woman to cheat on his wife with. Right. Whereas but the fact that he's cheating on his wife with a thick woman who's not very good-looking. And is also coarse and rude and uneducated. And that's, a that's a big deal. That's a big deal. The American Dream. Yeah. Now, I added this in here because I think the American Dream is a focal point of the book. Not so much in the movie. I think in no. the movie they completely gloss over this idea oh, yeah. of the American dream yeah. in favor of the relationship between Gatsby and Daisy. Yeah, that's which all the is, movie focuses on. Which is a terrible thing to do because there are so many points in this book mm-hmm. about the fall of the American dream, mm-hmm. about the downside of it, and about how the American dream exists because Gatsby is a character 
that is the American dream. Yeah. He is the epitome of the American dream. He came from nothing came and from made nothing. everything of himself. And became a millionaire. Yeah. And did it in a completely non-traditional fashion. He didn't go to school and, you know, join a company and work up through the ranks. He found this random yachter who was going to... Mr. Dan Cody. Mr. Dan Cody, who was going <laughs> to... Right. Who was going to bust up his yacht because he was drunk and throwing anchor in some turbulent bay. Gatsby rose up there and is like, hey, uh, you're going to wreck your boat. Dan Cody's too drunk to do anything, so he just, like, takes the boat out himself. And Cody's like, oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> Let's sail around the continent a few times. And I think, <laughs> the heck? I think that kind of hope is something that Fitzgerald back in his day really needed to instill in his in in people because yeah. they had just gotten out of one world war mm-hmm. they were getting ready to get into another world war <laughs> and i think people needed some hope that the american dream still existed not yeah. to mention this book was written 25 sh- shortly after the crash of the stock market <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, so, written in 1925. So the idea that the American dream is still alive is a piece of hope that I think people needed back then. Yeah. And it's an important. And I think for the movie to leave it out for Baz Luhrmann to decide not to put it in there is kind of a travesty because it yeah. misses the essence of what it of, of what the, the book is, yeah. which is hope. Hope yes. is the message. Nick talks about that so much in the in the first chapter before we even see Gatsby at all. With Nick talking about something his dad told him that he's been turning over in his mind ever since. What Fitzgerald has in the book is actually really, it's actually very wise advice. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Nick was born into wealth, he had a good upbringing, and dad's saying, okay, not everybody had that, so, you know, cut people some slack. It causes Nick to, as I said before, reserve judgment. And Nick says that reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. And I think, even though he says he reserves judgment, I think he is just as guilty of judgment as everyone else. And that bring, and that's the other side of the American dream, which is classism. Yeah. Which is all of these people that have obtained the American dream in this novel are horribly judgmental. The yeah. entire novel of yeah. everyone. Of being racist, of being classist of everything they're just horribly judgmental people and i think nick is not immune to this just like he wants to believe that he's honest he wants to believe that he is is infinitely hopeful but he isn't so much so not only does the novel bring up the good side of the american dream but it definitely without a doubt brings up the downside of the american dream and i would say you may disagree with me but i would say the downside of the american dream is more important in this novel than the upside it's yeah. more of a warning than it is yeah. anything. Yeah. Unobtainable love. Now, here's where we're going to disagree, and it's going to turn into an argument again. The movie does it better. The movie does the love interest better. Okay, what makes you say that? Because Gatsby is so cold and unfeeling, I don't believe that he truly feels the way about Daisy that Nick tries to say he does because he's cold and unfeeling. And I can't I can't feel like somebody like that could be that passionate about somebody. That's fair. Whereas in the movie, because he is so emotional, he's passionate. And therefore, I feel that he could really be that passionate about Daisy. Not only that, but because the novel takes the American dream 
and the movie doesn't, the movie can spend its time weaving around that sort of love interest angle, and it does it so much better. And it's it's prettier in the movie than it is in the in the book. It's it's much prettier. I mean, I'm baiting you here. I'm saying one one of the greatest writers of the 20th century can't write love. Not only can he not write love, and I think it's a Fitzgerald hallmark that he can't write love because every book that Fitzgerald wrote had a broken love in it. And the broken love was such that I didn't believe it. And I think it comes from his broken marriage with Zelda. Well, perhaps. I think this is that, the only thing of Fitzgerald I've, I've read. So I can't, I can't speak for his, his other novels, of which there are a great number. I but. think that this is not a love story. And the fact no, that... No, I, I, would, I would agree with that. And I, and I think that it's missing something because it's not a love story. I think that the love story is mm. just as important as the American dream. Because the love Maybe. story is part of the American dream. You want to get wealthy. You want to get married. You want to have some kids. But he, True. but Fitzgerald leaves out that you want to get married, and he just says you want to get wealthy. And I think, that's that's I a, think a big lot of deal. In his time. That's, that's what they were doing. But that's a big deal that he leaves oh, that out. What if that's what people were doing in his in his age? Was what? he maybe addressing that they had lost that part of it of the dream? I can't tell you that he maybe wasn't addressing that part, but I can tell you that if that was his intention, he didn't make it clear, and that's a failure. So? I don't. I think that's a failure on his part that he didn't make it clear. What we've got in this story is Gatsby spending his whole life trying to attain wealth so that he can attain love, and in doing so, all he actually did was attain his wealth. He never did attain love, and you could also argue to an extent that Daisy and Tom that their marriage while they were still married but it was still a failed marriage you could you can easily make that argument i I think he's might be saying that sure go for the american dream but don't forget about the whole second half of it with the kids i i I just don't agree with you the green light uh this is gonna turn into a fight you don't think the green light is important no i remember reading this book in high school the only thing i really remember about it um, the discussions that we had in class were people going on and on about the green light. And I don't really think it was that big of a deal of various metaphors or symbol, various symbols that are brought up. The eyes of Dr. TJ Eckelberg are mentioned far more often than the green light is. But that doesn't and make it any less important. I feel Perhaps. like the green light is, is extremely important. The green light is the symbol of his, of the unattainability. It's everything that Gatsby wants but can't have. It's an it's it's a symbol of the very point of the novel. I don't understand how you can look at the green light and not think it's important. I don't get it. Because the only thing it was, it was something that Gatsby himself enchanted. You, sir, are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that you can wa- read this book or watch this movie and not get that. But I will give you, in the movie, they don't make it out to be a big deal. In the movie, it's just him looking at Daisy, and that's a bad thing. Because in the book, it's so much more than him looking at Daisy. It's him looking at everything he can't have so far away. Because I would say that even though Gatsby monetarily achieved the American dream, he didn't achieve the entire thing. He just achieved monetary wealth. That's all he had. And so the green light is the symbol of the other half of the dream that he can't have. Well, why don't we take it straight from the book? Because it it very flat out says what the green light is. Okay. It is the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. 
That's important. How is that not important? It's an orgastic future. <laughs> it has the words orgastic and future in it. I didn't say it was unimportant. I said it's not the thing of the book. It is not the most important thing in the book, which it seems it seems when people read the book, that's all they see. And I think that's a little absurd. You read that you call yourself a literature critic. You read this book and you don't see the existential value of the green light. You want to talk about Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The only thing Dr. T.J. Eckelberg does at all is make <laughs> Wilson crazy and shoot Gatsby. Yeah. Because the, it's he says it's the eyes of God. Eyes of God. Uh, that's an advertisement? Yeah. And even his neighbor who comes to see him tells him it's, it's, an, it's yeah. an advertisement. Right. But that's in the book, not in the movie. In the movie, we don't even get that entire kind of godlike thing he says it once to tom when they go to get gas and we and then we just see him shoot gatsby but you want to talk about an important plot point the green light is the book we just spent time saying that the book is about the american dream if the green light is the symbol of the unattainability of the american dream how is it not the most important symbol in the entire book and that's where we ask you guys, the audience, what do you think is the most important symbol in the book? Is it the green light? Is it the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg? Is it something we haven't actually mentioned yet? Jordan tilting her chin and balancing things on it? There's so many symbols that are brought up in this book. What do you think are the most important ones? You can contact us at versusmachine.com. Uh, there's the contact button in the upper right. Click on that. Tell us what you think. I want to talk about the parties. Sure. I want to talk about That's them because they're ex they're very different between the movie and the book. Oh, yes. They're very different. In the movie, they are lavish. They are essentially orgies. That's actually about all they are. They are essentially orgies. Yeah. And Pretty in much. the book, they're lavish, but there's, there's little there's to no sex going on in yeah. any of the parties that happen. Not in the party in the apartment. Not in the party yes. at Gatsby's. Right. There's literally no sex. I'm afraid these people aren't having sex. <laughs> but in the book, the parties are lavish in the sense that there's a lot of overindulgence. Oh my gosh, there is a ton of it. There's uh, it, it talks about how many crates of, of fruit are brought in, how many this, that, and the other, all these different things that there are, the, the copious amounts of, of uh, alcohol, the various kinds, like there's these cocktails and highballs and stuff that people people don't even know what they are because they're they're too fancy they're even too fancy for this crowd i think the parties in the book are better in terms of what happens during them because what we're missing in the parties in the movie is we don't have the gossip trio that shows up in the book that tells us literally everything we want to know about gatsby we don't have that in the movie but in the book we have those people that told us everything we want to know about Gatsby. You mean all the rumors and crap that they spread about him? But those are important. Yes. They are important as to, especially because of what Nick says about them in terms of how he feels about the way that they look at Gatsby. Because he talks later about when he meets Gatsby that the people that think they know him know absolutely nothing about him. Yeah. And I think it's important to see that. I really do. However, in the movies, the parties are prettier. And that's what Baz Luhrmann's known for. Well, you're not going to find... see them in, in the book. You are not going to... You're not going to find a person who watches any of Baz Luhrmann's movies and likes them that doesn't tell you his parties are pretty. 
because that's all his movies are. They're a giant party of prettiness. <laughs> if you this, watch Moulin Rouge for as much on that. If you watch Moulin Rouge for two minutes, you get the idea that Baz Luhrmann likes to make things pretty. Gatsby's house. I just want to say one thing about Gatsby's house, and that's it. Why in the movie is Gatsby's house so gigantic? When in the book, I don't feel it's that guy gigantic. I feel like it's big. I feel like it's. Don't get me wrong. I feel like it's big, but I don't feel like it's that big. He doesn't give us the square footage of it or how the exact. But he doesn't seem to have that much grandeur. I mean, Gatsby literally lives on an island in the movie. The thing looks like it's forty-seven thousand acres. The movie takes the house and makes it way too big. That would be in keeping with Lerman's style, though, according to what you were saying. Yeah, well, I still want to mention it. The parlor. The parlor's a really interesting scene. It's really kind of the climax. And I want to hear what you say before I say anything. The movie ruined that scene. There were certain scenes that the movie did very well, such as Daisy and Gatsby seeing each other again for the first time in Nick's house. Did that very well. It totally killed this scene. Second to Gatsby's death, it's the climax of the movie, and they didn't do it well. Not only in the movie has Gatsby actually flipping out, which he doesn't do in the book at all, they miss um, another event that was happening at the same time that is very important. They're in a hotel parlor, which they just kind of rented on a stupid whim to try and cool off. and Which doesn't work at all. doesn't work in more ways than one. Below them, someone's getting married. It mentions that Tom t- picked up the receiver to call for some ice, and the pretentious chords of Mendelssohn's wedding march were heard below. That really has a great effect on Daisy because she's there to tell Tom that she never loved him while someone's getting married. Jordan says, imagine any marrying anybody in this heat. And Daisy remembers, I was married in the middle of June. To Biloxi, and he fainted. <laughs> yeah, it was so hot someone fainted. And then her and Tom reminisce about their marriage, about this Biloxi guy, whoever he was. And all this stuff, and this really should have told Gatsby, if he wasn't so blindly hopeful, it should have told him, hey, uh, you don't have a chance with this girl. She's been married for like four or five years. They might have a crummy marriage, but there's still a part of her that loves this guy. You don't have a chance. If he wasn't so blindly hopeful, he would have stepped out and been like, okay, I just politely concede, hey, Daisy, you don't got to tell him nothing, I'm out of here. But he was too hopeful for that. The movie doesn't have that that other wedding happening at the same time at all. It just shows Gatsby. It doesn't show his hopefulness as much because he does. He isn't railing against something that's impossible. Pace. Uh, the the book is a very enjoyable read. While I was reading this, knowing we were going to go see the movie, I was really curious how it was going to turn into a movie because not a whole lot happens in the first three chapters. However. Fitzgerald's writing, the Nick's various analogies, his depictions of things, and the real enigmatic nature of the characters really drives the whole story, making it very enjoyable to read. I I really enjoyed reading it a lot, and this is the third time that I've read it. I agree that once you get past the first three chapters, the book has a good pace. I disagree that the first three chapters aren't unbearable beyond all hell. Well, you don't you don't appreciate good writing. 
That is not true at all. It is true. No, I'm 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 just saying a person who is not cult who is not as into the writing style of someone as you and I are is not going to like the first three chapters. They're going to find them very long, very drawn out, and very boring. I'm not telling you it's completely boring from my perspective. I'm telling you from the perspective of people who probably don't appreciate writing style as much as you or I do. They want to read a good story. They aren't going to think that's interesting. They're going to think it's very boring. That's possible. The bottom line. Reading the book was very enjoyable. I loved the artistry of it. But watching the movie, there was... Since the characters in the movie were not as deep, they weren't as fleshed out or as enjoyable, there were none of the characters that you could really sympathize with or get behind. And then the movie ends without any of the hope that the book has. I'm not going to say that the book, you know, ends and the moral of the story is, but it almost does. We don't get that with the, with the movie at all. Honestly, walking out of the movie theater, I, I expressed to, my, to the, the party I saw it with that I felt completely empty and that I left with nothing. It wasn't like a feeling of emptiness. It was no feeling at all. There was no emotion because it was just this pretty movie that gave you a bunch of characters that you couldn't like. And that was it. There was no point. There wasn't any of the depth that the book had, and I just felt really empty after the movie, and it was really a, I felt a waste of time and money. I agree and disagree with you at the same time. I agree that you left the theater feeling empty, but for a different reason. That was a fact. (laughs) There's a lot of emotionality in the film, like I said before, emotionality that the book doesn't have. People show a lot more with their body language than they do in the book. The problem with that is if you stretch that to an extent where everyone is over emoting the entire movie, it will leave it with kind of a neutral feeling because you don't see it as over emoting because everyone is doing it all the time. It's just normal. So I felt like there was an over emote to this movie that left you at the end feeling like everyone just does that all the time anyway. So it's not overly emotional. It's just the normal way these characters act. And that's why you feel the you left the theater feeling a little bit empty because you felt like I can't get behind any of the strong emotions that are supposed to be here because everyone's having a strong emotion at all times. It's more like a stress factor of 15. Out of ten, out of ten, out of ten, out of ten. That's, that's pretty, pretty stressed then. But I think that's how you felt leaving. Because I felt like I, I, I felt like I was completely over emoted by the end. I felt like I was stre- I felt like I was tired. Yeah. Because I was too busy watching everyone scream and yell and hit each other, and I just felt like I was tired at the end of the movie because there was just too much. There was too sure. much going on. Yeah. And that's the way I feel with a lot of Baz Luhrmann films. That's the way I felt at the end of Moulin Rouge. There was too much going on, and I just felt tired afterward. I was like, I had to process this all in two hours, and now I'm tired. Now I'm tired, yeah. And I think what the book gives that the movie doesn't, because you felt empty, is legitimacy to everything going on. A legitimacy to the fact that Nick has all these outward kind of, judgments of everyone mm-hmm. and the fact that Gatsby and Daisy probably were in love at some point whether yeah. Yeah, we see that or not and whether it's a legitimate love or not I feel like nothing in the entire book is legitimate after Nick destroys it all I think there's a line there's a line in the book that something about after 
Gatsby died, Daisy retreated into her money. And I felt yeah, like that was that was a that was a big deal in delegitimizing a lot of things. And because Nick didn't say that in the movie, I felt like I felt less connected to these characters than I would have had Nick really felt a lot of the things out that we see in the book. Yeah. Something that I think needs to be talked about is the legitimacy or morality of the actions of Daisy and Gatsby. There isn't any. Right. That's how I feel about it. Neither the book nor the movie even address it. Nobody in in the book seems to care. Nick is totally content to set up a place where Daisy and Gatsby can have an affair. Not that it might happen. That's the express purpose of it. Nobody sees any problem with this. Really kind of bizarre. Sure, Tom is a horrible person, has had at least three mistresses, at least. That we know of. That we know of. Three that were found out in one way or another. That's a horrible thing to do, of course. Actually, everyone throughout the whole book is saying that pretty much the whole time. Or they talk about Tom. He's got a mistress. He's a horrible guy. That doesn't justify Daisy having an affair, does it? That doesn't justify her to go back to an old flame, does it? I think what we're going to run into is a lot of people, maybe in the audience, having this feeling like... In our society today, we pump up the idea of love. We pump mm-hmm. up the idea of true love. We pump up the idea yeah. of true love should conquer all. Yeah, a yeah. lot of movies today, somebody chucks a perfectly good person because of true love. And yeah. I think that's what pe- the I think that's what Lerman was trying to legitimize. And I think to a certain extent, that's what Fitzgerald was trying to legitimize their actions with. The fact that that's why Nick never really makes outwardly judgmental comments about what they're doing except to say they have an affair and they probably shouldn't have an affair he doesn't get visceral about it the way he does about everything else and i think that's what they're trying to make legitimize the whole thing this idea that they're truly in love and it's true love so therefore they should truly be together and i think all of that is extinguished by gatsby getting shot in the end I think all of it is extinguished by Gatsby getting shot in the end because not only am I disillusioned about the idea of true love because true love can't survive a gunshot wound. <laughs> I'm disillusioned about the fact that he was a horrible he was a horrible person to an extent even yeah. if he was just a patsy and it delegitimizes the idea of true love which is supposed to be true or good or honest. But what do you guys think about it? We want to know if you think that Gatsby and Daisy are moral, or if you think they're immoral, or what you think is kind of legitimate in the book. Contact us at versusmachine.com by clicking the button in the top right-hand corner and telling us what you think. While the book and the movie are different, one thing remains the same, and that is this is a deep intellectual examination of human behavior. And for me, that's what you need to take away from this when you do either. Whether I think you should watch the book or the movie, it's less important to me than I than it is that you get what both of them are trying to tell you, which is that there's a deep examination of human behavior in this and yeah. morality, and we really need to stick to that. If you read the book, it's impossible to miss the questioning the morality of Daisy and Gatsby's actions of having this affair. You read the book, the question is there, even if no one within the book blatantly ask the questions the way Fitzgerald writes it it's there there's the question of the American dream of hope of true love of um, 
classism, racism, all these things are there. And that, that I think, along with the artistry of the book, is what has made it such an enduring classic. This has been the examination of the Great Gatsby book versus the 2013 Great Gatsby movie. My name is Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And we want to invite you all, as always, to contact us at versusmachine.com with that little button in the top right-hand corner that says Contact Us. And make sure you tell us what you think about everything we've said. I loved reading The Great Gatsby. I loved running it through the Versus Machine with you. And I appreciate the movie enough to try to run it through the Versus Machine. This is Joseph Burge. This is Richard Gibson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.